0: Since the dawn of time, we've shared stories. They remind us of who we were, who we are, and who we wish to be. Through story, our ancestors speak to us, passing on wisdom and truth from the past. And stories prepare us for the future. If only we listen. Welcome to episode two of Listen. My name is Daniel Foytek, and I love a good story. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land
1: Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: And if you're here, hopefully one of yours too, listening to great stories. Please remember that Listen is your show. It grows by sharing. So if you love story, please share it with your family and your friends. And if you know a great storyteller who is working on building their following and who should be featured here, let me know and let them know. Story belongs to all of us. So share it with all you can. Support the tellers you hear in this podcast by picking up one of their CDs or books, and by attending live tellings whenever you can. I like to keep my introductions short so you can focus on the stories, so let's move along. The stories featured in this episode were recorded live at the 2015 Three Rivers Storytelling Festival in Pittsburgh, PA. For more information on that festival, please visit www.3rstf.org. Today's featured teller is Joanna Demarest. Joanna has been telling stories to children and adults for over 20 years. Joanna specializes in American historical, traditional, and Southern tales, ghost stories, storytelling workshops, nature and campfire programs, and her own unique ladybug stories. Joanna's website is joannademarest.com
1: our camp was known for three things. First of all, it was in the wonderful wilds of the Poconos Mountains in eastern Pennsylvania, and we had all kinds of wildlife. We had squirrels and bunnies and possums and skunks and snakes and a 400-pound black bear. Now, the, the bear normally lived on the other side of the lake that was on the property, but would occasionally come over to get the tasty tidbits out of our dumpster. Uh, we would occasionally see each other, me when I'm walking early in the morning around the camp, her scurrying away from the dumpster, and I would shoo her away. She would kind of hump at me and keep walking along. Now, the second thing that our camp was known for were our, was our s'mores competition of that, you know, making that traditional Girl Scout treat, ramping it up a little bit, maybe putting a little peanut butter in there, or taking and using thin mint cookies on either side instead of graham crackers, or the counselor's favorite, the rum punch variety, <laughs> And the third thing that this camp was known for was, well, our pranks. Now, as Jim was saying earlier about pranks, now we had some rules about the pranks at our camp. They could only be between counselors, and no one could get hurt. And, you know, we had the normal things, the switching the sugar and the salt shaker or taking and taking saran wrap and wrapping around the entire platform tents that we slept in, you know, making it so you have to cut your way out in that early morning run to the latrine. But uh, I tried to stay aloof above these pranks. I would go into the dining hall, I would eat my sugary eggs and drink my salty coffee. I I, I tried not to pay any attention, and even the morning when I came down to the dining hall and I looked out the big windows out to the lake, there was the golf cart that I used to drive around camp. It was on the floating dock, which they had swum out into the middle of the lake and anchored. I noticed. I sat I ate. I went over to my head counselor and said, um, I'll just need my golf cart by 10 o'clock, please. Somehow this seemed to up the ante with them. They wanted to get to me. Well, that night was the s'mores competition. The Caramel Delight variety with caramel and coconut won that year. And at the end, of the, it, everything got cleaned up. The girls took care of cleaning up the crumbs and whatnot. I went off to bed. Well, unbeknownst to me, my lovely counselors decided to see if they might get a critter running through my tent in the middle of the night. So they took all those crumbs from those Caramel Delight s'mores and scattered them in a nice line from the woods right into my tent and tossed a few crumbs inside. I'm sound asleep. And I... I wake up to this strange noise and and I look up and there is a black nose sticking into my tent. I'm a possum. I'm not moving. Now we had nicknamed this bear Blackie. Blackie starts wandering into the tent, knocks my shoes out of the way for some crumbs, bumps my tent out of the, my my cot out of the way. Just having a wonderful time. I'm a possum. I'm not moving. Blackie turns finally after getting every crumb, turns and walks out of my tent. Needless to say, the next morning, the counselors got a rise out of me. I went and explained to them about the uh, first, second rule that no one was to get hurt, um, and explained that you know we have rules about the animals, no more food in the tents. I went to my tent. I cleaned the entire tent out. That night, going up, feeling that I was pretty safe in going to sleep and not having any middle-of-the-night visitors. You can imagine my surprise when in the middle of the night, I hear, (laughs) and I look up, and there's Blackie again. Just close my eyes, going, please, just go away, Blackie. Just, there's nothing here, but I'm not saying a word. And, ka And it got real quiet. So I opened one eye, and there at the end of my bed were great two great big brown eyes, Blackie looking at me like this. She growled and I swear it sounded like smore <laughs> Blackie turned and walked out of the tent. Now, we had been actually trying to have Blackie removed from our property for a while, and I had had several times for Fish and Game and Wildlife to come out and put one of those great big barrel bear traps out there. And she was smart. She would never get into that trap. Well, now I knew. Next morning, I called Fish and Wildlife and said, Come on out, guys. You know, put uh, out this, and I know what to put in it. We put a few dribblings of the s'more makings in there. And the next morning, there was Blackie looking kind of dejected in the trap. But before the the ranger went to drive away with the bear, I went into the kitchen. I got five or six boxes of graham crackers, four or five bags of marshmallows, and a big old box of chocolate, and took them and threw them into the trap with Blackie. She winked at me. I winked back at her, because I know she was going to be back next year for some more. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. It's been, it's so fun to be able to tell this year instead of being running around and working the whole time. Um, so, how many of you out there own a GPS? Raise your hands. Okay, now some of you did not, you know, there are three types of people in this world. The, the first type are those people who don't own a GPS, and they give all of their directions by landmarks. Uh, go down to the third street at the white church, no, it's the second white church, turn right, go down, go through the parking lot, across that alley, and through the bank, and there's the doctor's office. Those are people like my sister. Um, there are also people, those of you who did raise your hand, who own GPSs, and you will put an address into that GPS and you will follow it blindly. I love my husband dearly, but this is what he does. He will be driving down the freeway and it will take him off of the ramp, around, back onto the ramp and back onto the same freeway and keep going. He calls it an adventure. Then there's people in the world like me. Um I will get the GPS, I will put the address in, but prior to that, I will have gone to Google Maps. I will have planned out exactly the route I want to go. I will take the little man and put him right on the spot where I'm going to go so I can see the building, I can look around, I can see where parking is. I uh, will even, when I'm taking a long trip, will write down a little cheat sheet of all the roads that I want to go on because I know better. I know the better route. A GPS can take you a million different ways. It can take you the fastest way, the shortest way, the most unrestricted way. Uh, But that's not necessarily the way that I want to go. And, well, that's when the GPS wars begin. One battle after another where I will put in an address, we will go down, and I'll get to a corner, and it says turn left, and I turn right, and I hear recalculating. You know, people think I'm crazy because I love to drive. I have driven across this country so many times that I can't even keep count. I, you know, it doesn't matter what the season is. In the spring, when you've got foals and colts jumping around in the fields and all of the new spring flowers coming up. Or in the summer, you know, you can go down along the beaches and see all of the beauty down there. In the fall, all the crimson, red, and buttercup yellow trees as you drive along. Or, in the winter time, even with the trees bare and it gray, but you see those icicle waterfalls coming down along the, on the sides of the hills. I love to drive it doesn 't matter where or when. Uh, recently, I ended up taking a rather large trip rather long one. You see, um, it turns out that my husband's company um, last year in March decided to get rid of his job and instead make him an interim vice president in Boston. So he went off to live in a residence in hotel just north of the city. Now, not knowing what our job was going to be, one, I had to resign from being the producer of this festival, but also I couldn't take any jobs because I didn't know where I was going to be in a couple of months. So, I had a couple of choices. I could stay here living in my little house. where empty nesters, so it'd be just me with little or no work. Or I could go live in a residence-in hotel with, you know, one bedroom, one little room, a tiny thing, and have little or no work. And I thought, you know, what I really need to do is take a sabbatical. Take that time. Wiki's definition says to s- take a piece of time where you pull back from work You might write a book. You might enjoy something new. Try a new experience. And I thought, you know, I could do this. I have all of this work that I want to do that I never get a chance to do because I'm performing. Um, And so I thought, I'll take a sabbatical. That's what I'll do. And I'll drive. I'll take a trip. And well, while I'm taking the trip, I might as well go see all of my family. Now, I'm the youngest of six kids, and all of the family lives in the South. And I thought I could go along visiting each member and get work done in between. What was I thinking? I was going to visit my family, who I've always described put the fun in dysfunctional. We lived on an island off the coast of Florida. We lived an island party life. And so... But as the years have gone along, even though I'm the youngest, I'm the one that kind of takes care of all of the problems that happen. And all of those problems have now turned from those parties on the beach to doctor's visits and issues that happen within families. But, you know, it started out as a sabbatical, quickly turned into a mission trip, which I had planned to be about 6,000 miles but it turned into a 10,000-mile odyssey. Four months on the road, in seven different vehicles, including a 30-foot RV and a box truck from U-Haul driving through Brooklyn. It was 18 states, and so this trip went from that mission trip all the way around to this odyssey. You know, it started on October 18th, I got in the car, closed up the house, everything was ready to go, and I headed off. And I tend to take back roads when I can, so I was heading down Highway 19 out of Pennsylvania into West Virginia. I had programmed my GPS for my first destination. I had my little cheat sheet of the roads of where I really wanted to go. I was ready. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden I look down at my GPS, and it takes me off of 19 onto Highway 60. Hmm. That's not the way I want to go. And I look up and there's this sign that says bridge day. Bridge day? Oh, that kind of rings a bell, but uh, I keep driving and and my GPS recalculates where I need to go and I'm like, that's not the way I want to go. But I'm driving along and then, oh, bridge day. Bridge closed. It's the third Saturday of October when 100,000 idiots decide to jump off a perfectly good bridge, 876 feet, bungee jumping and freebasing for thrills. So what they do is they close an interstate highway so all of these people can do this every third Saturday of the month. I'm like, oh, that's right, I do remember that. And so what happens is you get set up onto Highway 60, which is a rolling, roller coaster, twisting, turning road, with 100,000 people trying to get to the bridge, everybody else who's trying to get around the bridge, and you see there's one other thing. The residents who live along that road, Highway 60, they know they've got a captive audience on that third Saturday. They put out Every single little knickknack, every little craft that has ever been done. Every church puts up the biggest bizarre sale they can have. So now you've got the hundred thousand. You've got those of us trying to get around it, and those that are going, "Ooh, good sale," and pulling off the road. So you're snaking, slowing down, slower and slower, going up this winding road. Now there is one thing that I've learned about traveling and going long distances is that every two hours you take a break. You stop, stretch your legs, whatever you need to do, and I'm in this slowing down lane of traffic, and I'm. it's coming up to my two-hour break, oh, where, oh, God, I don't even want to pull off this, and I come around a corner, and there, right in front of me, it looked like it was in the middle of a road, was a gorilla, like, gorilla, what the heck, I drive a little farther, and I look, and there's a gorilla sitting on top of a Quonset hut that is painted in flower power colors. It's got a Volkswagen bug that they've cut in half and smashed into the side of the building. It is the mystery hole. It is a tourist trap of epic proportion. Well, I thought, what the heck, that looks interesting. So I pulled in to take my break. I go up to the door, and there's a big sign that says, Um, Those people with vertigo, high blood pressure, heart problems, do not enter. Not responsible for accidents or side effects. Shoes recommended. So I go in, and what it is, is they think that this, the people who, I think the hole has really affected the people who run this place. They say that it's a gravity defying wonder. There are mysterious forces around this hole. You go in, and everything's at angles and off kilter. There's water running up a wall. You go through, and you find out that this is the mystery hole. And you walk through, and you see it, and it's like, okay. And I left not really knowing what effect it might have been. I, I have to say, after the hypno-swirls and everything that was going on, I did feel a little disoriented. And so I got up and I drove to um, the to tit out into the snaking line of traffic and I got my chance and I gunned it and I pulled in and my right tire hit the curb. But I got in and I start going down the road. We finally get out of Highway 60, get back onto Highway 19 to go, no it's a parking lot with cars parked on the side of the road both sides of the meeting on the other side and that 100,000 people that want to get to the bridge are walking towards me so I get through it I finally break through get going get out of West Virginia and I start down into the West in the Virginia mountains all of a sudden I hear thump, thump, dump and my steering wheel shimmies just a bit oh man what now Thump. Oh, shoot. And I look at the GPS and there's nothing. There's no towns. I'm out. It's like green. There's nothing around me. And all of a sudden I start to hear this roaring noise. This roaring pounding noise it's coming up behind me and it's getting louder and louder and I look into my rear view mirror and there's a thousand hell's angels descending upon me there's motorcycles everywhere I can see coming down and I'm like oh man no 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 problems now I I'm a female by myself driving out in the wilds what and all of a sudden thump, 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 bam the tire goes and I've got to pull off the Roaring sound of those motorcycles are coming down harder and harder upon me. I'm sitting, I think, I'll get smaller. I'll get really small in the car. They won't know I'm here. They'll go right past me. Please go past me. Roaring noise. It's not passing. And all of a sudden, knock, knock. Standing at my window is the biggest, burliest, snarly bearded man I have ever seen in my life. What's up, sweet cheeks? Nothing. I'm fine. I'll call AAA, promise and behind me all of a sudden I hear pop the trunk and two other big burly guys come over and they're looking at my right tire and I'm like that's okay and just then a cherry red Harley trike pulls up right at my corner panel and I can see the back of that leather jacket motorcycle riders for Jesus and the woman turned to me, and she had a name tag that said Pastor Betsy. Uh, I'm a, okay. I I think I can probably get out. I got out of the car, and do you know that in 15 minutes they had changed my tire. Those two guys over there had just picked up the front of the car, put the tire on, and off they went, roaring on past me, yelling, "God bless you, sister." Oh, that was just the first day. Well, I did drive on down. I stopped first in, in Asheville, North Carolina, then in Atlanta, which is really where the sabbatical turned into a mission trip. Um, family problems that had come up. I went down to Florida, checked on my in-laws, uh, not doing quite so well. But when I got to Pensacola, I knew Pensacola. It's where I grew up. So even though the streets were now four-lane streets instead of two-lane streets, it was fine. I knew where I was going. I turned the GPS off. And We got along fine. No more battles at that point. Then we got down to, I had to go over to Tallahassee. When I got to Tallahassee where my mother and sister live, my mother had quite a few doctor's appointments. Um, She's going blind and she's becoming senile. And so when she would get in the car to go to Walmart, I'd say, Mom, which way? And she'd go, Oh, I don't know. But I think it's that way. Well, fortunately, I had typed in just about every address I possibly could of the places that she would want to go, so I secretly had the GPS running and saying, I think I know where it is, Mom. So the GPS, I had to kind of start depending upon it again, because I didn't really know where I was. And then it was on down to Fort Lauderdale, where two sister-in-laws ended up in the hospital at the same time, both having surgery. Certainly not planned that way. Um, So again, I'm starting to trust the GPS and holding on to it, and knowing that this is what was going to be the way that I was going to have to do it. And then I started heading back up north. Now, having taken care of my family, I was hoping that the mission trip was now done and, and that all of the weird things were over and I could now get back to that enjoyment of driving. And so I was going along and having a wonderful time just enjoying driving up. We were going to go up to Ocean City, Maryland to see my niece, Now, when I got up there, (laughs) there was a bridge. You come up on Highway 13, going across the Chesapeake Bay, and it's a 23-mile bridge. Now, the GPS and I had come to a truce. I was lulled into complacency with it. I was listening to what she was telling me to do. And I put down the windows because it was a beautiful day. I was really enjoying smelling the salt air and hearing the seagulls. And I get on this 23-mile bridge and I drive about two miles and all of a sudden the GPS says to me, turn around when possible. I'm on a bridge. I can't turn around. And I'm going a little bit farther and I kind of look up and I can see that the bridge disappears. There's like this rock island and the bridge is gone, and I can look, and there's more bridge on the other side, and I look down at the GPS, and it has that symbol for a tunnel. I'm like, okay, weird, tunnel in the middle of the bridge. And then my GPS says, turn around when possible. I'm like, I can't turn around when possible. And it almost sounds as if she's getting a little bit snippy with me. So I'm going a little bit farther, and and I come up to this tunnel, and with a little trepidation, not knowing, I go down into it, and when I come out the other side, I'm just fine. Turn around when possible. She's starting to yell at me, I swear. it. I'm like, I can't turn around, I'm on a bridge. And I look up, and darn if not again, there's another rock island that disappeared. There's two tunnels along that highway. Well, I'm starting to approach it and I turn around when possible. I'm like, I can't. And just at that moment, I looked up and right in front of that tunnel entrance, there was a flagman and he was waving an orange flag over his head. And I was the first car pulling up to him. And I pulled up and I stopped. Just at that moment, two Navy SEAL hovercraft come roaring up on either side of that island, and. A thousand fra- Navy frogmen come roaring up. They come up. They've got their guns. They, a bunch of them take them and point them at the entrance to the tunnel. A few of them are pointing them up in the air. Two of them turn around and point them at me. And the flagman walks around and ducks down behind my car. Well, I have no idea what is going on, and I'm just frozen there in almost fear. And it's like all of a sudden... Another rumbling sound coming up out of the tunnel, rumbling up. And all of a sudden, the guys with the air, guns in the air are starting to shoot their guns off like mad. The tr- there's this flatbed semi that comes roaring up out of the tunnel. And the guys with the guns pointing at him, he comes to a screeching halt. The two guys covering their rear have their guns point at me. Wah, wah, I, I'm frozen. And then just as it comes up, the, the truck comes to a screeching halt. Two guys go up and they reach up and they wrench open the door to that semi. They grab a guy out of it. He's got black face all over his face. He's dressed in fatigues. They pull him down out of the truck. They put handcuffs on him and they force march him off to one of the hovercraft. And then all the other frogmen just disappear back onto the boats. One of them goes up, gets into the cab of the truck and quietly drives past me. And the flagman walks back around my car and motions me forward. I have no idea what has just happened to me. I do not know what was covered in black plastic on the back of that flatbed semi. I get down through the tunnel. I come out the other side and there's an overlook. I pull into it. And I'm trying to get my breathing back. You know, I realized that day that... I know my personality, and I know that I'm going to continue to battle with my GPS. I know that I'm going to continue those wars. But you know what? The next time that my GPS tells me to turn around when possible, I think I'll listen. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for tuning in for episode number two of Listen. What did you think? Let me know at feedback at ninthstory.com. This episode featured stories by Joanna Demarest. If you'd like more information on Joanna and her work, please visit joannademarest.com. You can also find her on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joannademarest1. Big thanks to Lynn Ford for letting me feature her work in the last episode. Please share your love of story, share the show and help us grow. The best support you can give us is to tell a friend who might enjoy the stories about this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at listen to story. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash story listeners. And soon you'll find us in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and more. Listen is dedicated to bringing you traditional stories told by some of the best tellers in the world of storytelling. Here, you will rediscover your love of story every time you visit. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Stories in this episode of Listen were performed by Joanna Demarest. The Listen theme is a selection of Better Start Walking and was written and performed by Robin Brown. For more of Robin's work, visit robinbrown.info. Closing music is also from Better Start Walking. Listen is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. That's me. Full show notes with links and info can be found at www.storylisteners.com forward slash two. This has been Daniel Foytek. Until next time, listen, tell, and share stories. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?